Hello everyone and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 40th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, and I am joined by both of my co-hosts today. This is a special episode, Adam Goffin and Angus Armstrong. We're kicking it all the way back. Start with you, Adam. How are you doing today? Footy, Zach. Socially distant footy. Socially distant footy as well uh, for for all of us. So we're we're really spanning the globe here. Gus out in New York, how are you doing with the uh, the full on shutdown in the city? Uh, honestly, it's not that bad. Uh, just working from home, taking like a walk in the morning or in the afternoon, uh, and a walk once the workday is finished every day. Uh, shops for the most part are still open. Um, food is still open. Like when. So like essentials are there. It's just no bars or restaurants, but we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that everybody uh, is is being safe out there. Everyone's staying in their own homes and not really trying to test fate at all. Definitely a, a time of utmost precaution around the world. So we will be coming to you uh, live today uh, with a new episode. And this one, we're uh, kind of changing the format for, as you'd expect, we're not going to do a, a table recap as no club has played in a matter of weeks. But we'll, we'll be taking questions from all three of us. So Gus, myself, and Adam have all come up with a discussion question for the other two participants. We're going to kind of keep this one pretty casual today, guys. We'll, we'll ask the questions and we'll just have a nice fireside chat in the, in the uh, words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Love it. It's going to be a good fun one. Got some good questions out there um, and a couple familiar segments as well. But Gus, good to have you back, my friend. Thank you. It's good to be back. You know, I show up once in a blue moon and every time I do, it's always fun. Yeah, you're, you're like James McFadden. You're just saving the day. Sometimes you just you got to save the world. <laughs> quick plug for fitbutthatbud.com. Just really quick plug. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think any matches have been played since our last episode. Uh, 29. No, we made all those no, predictions, so. Zach, and none of them, none of them even took place. <laughs> Okay, wait, this, all right, something, a, a new talking point has jumped into my head. But anyway, without further ado, let, let's get into the questions. So, Adam, do you want to start off here? Yeah, I think this is the one on everybody's mind, right? So, the season has been postponed as, uh, until I should say, the end of April for right now. Very good chance it gets postponed even further and pushed back even further beyond that. So, my question for you both is should we finish the 2019 2020 Premier League season? And if so, what is the right, quote unquote, right way to do so? And before you guys answer, the three options that have really been kind of thrown out there by the pundits have been to completely void the season, to end the season right now where it stands and have Liverpool be champions and the bottom three go down and all of those people qualify for Europe that are in European places as it stands. Um, and then the final option that's been thrown out is wait until everything is is said and done with the coronavirus and then play the remaining games when it's safe to do so so i'll throw it over to you guys and uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts zach what do you yeah, got you or me want to tackle this one first um i have a pretty lengthy i really really dug into the format of exactly how they should finish it so why don't you go first okay so mine's pretty meaty i think that we should finish the season but it should be after the vast... It should be played behind closed doors the rest of the season. 
the what nine or so games we have in a reduced period of time so maybe six six weeks to play nine games you don't have the euros to deal with anymore this summer so wait until everything dies down until maybe about i mean i'm postulating here i'm no health expert but let's say by the end of may you can say that nobody at a premier league club has the coronavirus right you can test these players after you know in two week increments so that they can play on the pitch and if anybody does test positive then you take them off and they're not allowed to play or you just shut down the league again but i think it is unjust to both the teams who are fighting for promotion and uh, and re- or sorry to stay up and relegation at the bottom and it's unjust for liverpool especially and i i mean you know me i'm one of the biggest liverpool haters but it's unjust to them to cut their season short in what should be a historic season in which they could set like a ton of records. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that that makes sense. Um, I, I do think because it, it like, so my point it. is think about what happened in like Singapore and South Korea, where they constantly tested a bunch of where they tested their population and then traced them. Right. So if somebody tested positive, they asked that person, who have you been in contact with for the past two weeks? Right. And then all those people got tested. That kind of aggressive search and trace system has shown to drive the numbers down and be safer for everybody else. So I think that that should be kind of adapted to the Premier League. I don't know if it's financially possible. I don't know if it's even feasibly possible, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I, I like that. I, I think that on the basis of that kind of format, I, I think it would have to be a one strike and we're done policy, though. Like, I, I think that if any player in the Premier League tests positive, you shut the entire thing down. Yeah, that's. I don't. Th- I don't. Th- I don't think you can keep doing this like staggered. Like, all right, we're going to delay it another week, or this player is like. Because all the players will have been in contact with each other, so uh, yeah, I, I think it. I, I think it has to be in one strike and we're done. You don't. Policy. You'd almost have to like declare your squads for the rest of the season, and like isolate those people for yeah. whatever the weeks are that remain, right? Yeah. So if you're playing it over six weeks, just stick them in a hotel for six weeks. Have a training. You know, bust them to and from the training ground. Make sure the. the it's essentially an international clean. tournament. Yeah, it's essentially an international tournament, right? Like the format of how you would house the people. Yes, how how you would keep them isolated from either like you know fans, media, everybody else. Is you just make sure that mm-hmm. they're healthy and you can finish off the season. Which, like I said, don't even know if it's financially possible or feasible, but I think that, that is the most just way to do it. Yeah. So this assumes right. this assumes that beginning in the beginning of may we would be able to restart and look at six weeks that would put us in mid-june end of may no no no. it started in the end of may end of may okay so let's right guys yeah Yeah. end of may because the premier league season would have ended what like may normally ends around like may 20th second week yeah yeah something like that yeah so So, with with that in mind what happens if this kind of quarantine period gets pushed back and we need to finish out the season, let's say, starting in August, and then we subsequently have to push back the next year. How do you accommodate 
closing out the 1920 season and continuing your kind of regular cadence for the for the following season. I think if I, it, I think you go, Zach. I've talked enough. No, no, sure. I, I, I was just going to say, I think that you finish, like, whenever you can restart the league, you, you finish the season, and then the 2020-2021 season is the one that's bridged, right? Because we're assuming that Euros is going to happen next year, so I think the end date of the 2020-2021 the season, the end date stays the same, and if that it makes it a, a shorter season, so be it. I think you have to give the players a break in between, and let's say, let's say the Premier League doesn't restart until, I don't know, the beginning of July, and you, you still give the players like the two months off that they would have, and then you start the next season in, I don't know, what would it be, like early October and just make it a 32 match season or something like that. So then to that point, how do you decide, how do you make that fair, right? What if you're a newly promoted team that comes up list? and you have to play home and away against the top six or the, you know, the real quality teams. And then another team that came up from the championship, maybe in second place, you know, the eight, the six games that they miss out on are away to all of the top six, right? How do you, how do you have parity there when you don't have home and away against every single team? It's a good point. I think that maybe then the best option is kind of like I've heard of a, what somebody said was like a hybrid approach where you let the top two teams who are in the automatic promotion spots from the championship up into the Premier League. You play a 22-team season with no relegation from the year before, right? Mm-hmm. So... That would still mean that who are the bottom three right now? Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth. They stay in the league. You get the top two from the championship who are Leeds and West Brom, I think. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. And then you just play, what is that? If it's 22 teams, then it's 42-game season. And you abridge. So you're going to make the season longer? And, no, but you abridge this season. Say it ends at 29, give Liverpool the title keep the three teams who are in the relegation zone right now oh, in the Premier saying. League. So they don't, get, they don't get punished. They don't get punished, okay. but Liverpool still gets the title, and then you play a 42-game season next year from, what, the beginning of August to, like, end of May? I see what Because it's only, okay. it's only four more games than a normal yeah. Premier League season. You'd love that, Gus, because yeah. Chelsea are getting clawed back in fourth place right now, so if we ended it right now... You'd sneak into Europe into the Champions League again. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's I'm not a, that's not a bad thought, Gus. That's not a bad thought. Um, I like that. There's no perfect like way to do it, right? You're gonna you're gonna piss somebody off no matter yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. you do it. Of course, precisely. All right, so, is... so 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 do you want to hear my overly complicated way that we finish the Premier League season? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, so. Obviously, the first thing is it's, it's, it is all based on when we restart play. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to hold with the mentality that, or the opinion rather, that uh, if the season doesn't restart until mid-July, like you push back next season. So it's on the basis of finishing this season, right? Um, but the way I, I think we do it is not playing nine more matches to finish the season, but instead instituting two different playoff systems. Ooh. So a brand new thing in English football 
the thing that the the one thing that American sports has over English football is playoffs are awesome, playoffs are incredible, and playoffs should be instituted, and we do it here. So there's a relegation playoff, and then there's a two-part European qualifying qualification playoff. So the relegation playoff is the first one uh, happening at the same time, and this takes place uh, between the teams that are in the bottom five right now. So that would be 16 down. It would be West Ham, Watford, Bournemouth, Villa, and Norwich. All right? So what happens is that the bottom five play a round-robin tournament. So four matches per team against all four of the other clubs in a, about a 20-day span. So you have about five days. Every five days there's a match, which I think is you know, enough rest time for, for all these clubs. Um, now, each team gets two home matches out of the four games, and those are randomly selected. So they're playing two home, two away. And then simply after everybody has played their matches, the bottom three on points, taking their current point total right now and then adding the points that they get from this tournament, they go down. Okay. That all makes sense to you guys? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. I'm, I'm, I'm so, letting you orchestrate this point before I poke holes in it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, now, now, just looking at the table right now, West Ham to Norwich, so 16 to 20, is only separated by six points. So truly anything could happen in this little round-robin uh, four matches. Uh, you know, if somehow Norwich pulls a Leicester of 2014 and wins all their remaining matches, they would hypothetically get out of the bottom three. Um, so giving every team a, a fairly just uh, you know, ability to, to stay alive for next season. Now, <laughs> the tournament for Europe is a much, much more complicated one than the one I just described. Uh, so the tournament for, for European qualification is, is a bit harder to, to kind of break down um, because right now you have Liverpool, who is you know, by far and away the best team in the league. They're up 25 points on Manchester City. So my first thought, the first thing off the bat, is that Liverpool does not take place in this tournament. Liverpool is given the title, and Liverpool gets immediate qualification into the Champions League. Okay. All right. I, I think that's fair just based on how large the gap is I right think now. Fair. Like, yeah. All right. So now, since Manchester City has already won the League Cup, which gives the team a, a place in Europa, two teams will get Europa qualification because City is currently in the top four. Uh, and so the way that we do this is we're going to split it into a, a kind of a two-tiered playoff for all the teams in the top half minus Liverpool. So two through ten right now, Manchester City through Burnley will be participating in this. Wow. And the way, and the, the, the way that it goes, and that was the easy part, the way that it goes is there's first a four-team single elimination playoff for seven through ten. So the bottom four of the top half teams, right? And the way that that happens is is just ranking Sheffield United, who's in seventh, plays Burnley, who's in tenth, and then the two middle clubs, Tottenham and Arsenal, play one another. Well, I like so that. North London Derby. North London Derby. Right? You're okay. selling me already. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You're following me here. So, yeah. So, seven, ten. So, it's like one, verse, one seed versus four seed, two versus three, right? Kind of pr- pretty fair in that regard. So... The winner of each of those matches, and these matches, if drawn after uh, regulation, go to extra time, penalty shootout, like the international style. So the winner of those two matches um, play one another. And so there's one winner from this first tournament, right? 
Um, now, whoever that winner may be now enters the second tier of the tournament. So if it's Burnley, if Burnley beats Sheffield United and beats the winner of the North London Derby, they would go from 10th into the qualification zone. Uh, so the winner of the first tournament enters the second tier in which the, that, that team plays Manchester City, who's currently in second, and Leicester plays Wolves, so three versus six, and then Man U plays Chelsea. So I know that was a lot of words, but it's the same format as the first tier of the tournament. It's the highest seed plays the lowest seed, sure. and then the two middles, and crunch it down. So there's right? a play-in tournament for the seventh seed, but in this tournament is the sixth seed because Liverpool yes. has already won the title. Exactly. So, so in this second tournament, one plays six, two plays five, and three plays four. Sure. Got it. So there are three winners from those three games. Um, and those three winners are the ones who will join Liverpool in the Champions League. Okay? Okay. Got it. Now, <laughs> What about the Europa spots? Well, so now to polish it all off, now at this point you have three teams who just lost in that second tier of the tournament. Uh, so whoever that may be. So of the three losers, the team who was lowest on the table when this entire thing started is out, and the other two get Europa. <laughs> okay, this is pretty. This is pretty complex, dude. So, so okay, yeah, that, that that part is the most. So, so, so I'll give you an example here. So let's say, let's say, I don't know, uh, Arsenal wins that first mini four-team tournament and goes up to this secondary tournament, right? Mm-hmm. So Arsenal finished the season in ninth. Uh, so they would play Manchester City, and let's say they knock off City. So City is now, City is now in Europa because they came in second. So there's no chance that they're the lowest team in the table who, who lost that first match. Now, if the if Leicester loses to Wolves, who was in six, and then let's say Chelsea beats Man U, you now have City, who was number two, Wolves, who were six. And then Manu, who were five. So in this case, Wolves would be out, and City and Manu would get Europa League spots. Got it. Uh, okay. I mean, like it requires some math, but I don't. I don't disagree with this. It's. I suppose it's the best way to do an abbreviated season, right? Because the relegation playoffs would then be what four games in in about twenty days. Four games in twenty days, but. So are the are the European spots being played just straight knockout or is it home and away? No, it's knockout, straight knockout. So at most you're playing two games. Um, no, so so at most a team from that lower tier of the top house half would have to play two day, games to get in the second tier, and then they would play one more. So at most so you're playing three games most, okay. if you're a bottom tier. Yeah, but but for the for the people for what teams three through three through six. Sorry, two through six. You're only playing. You're only playing you're only one playing game. One game, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how is that fair? How how can you how can you hinge their entire season whether or not they get a European spot on one game that they haven't? You know, they they're not match fit for what is what. By the end of May, it'll be nearly three months, right? Yeah. I just I feel like that's a bit harsh, right? Those players will not be at their best. There's there's I also a lot more layer to this, Zach. What about finishing out their existing European tournaments? 
and how would we accommodate that into uh, your plan? UEFA, anything UEFA. I think is we, not we, we can't. We yeah. We, we, I don't think UEFA is going to happen. I don't think we can also kind of take that into yeah. play. But I, Gus, to, to address your point, I think that's a good point. But I think that it goes both ways. I, I think that having, you know, having to play a potential three games after not playing in three, you know, three or four months might be even more difficult than just playing one match, you know, having to have your stamina back up. But I also think that because I, I think that there's a benefit to only having to play one match because you, all you have to do is train for one team. You know exactly who you're playing. And I think that they deserve the benefit of that because they finished higher on the table. Sure. I mean, the, the, the team lower than them also has a benefit to know who they're going to play. But I, I but after after playing two matches previously. Well, I mean, like, Chelsea and Manchester United know that they're going to play each other. And Manchester United's beat Chelsea three times this year, twice in the league and once in the cup. I'm yep. just, I, I know that's, like, kind of, like, homerish because I'm a Chelsea fan. But, like, that is something to take into consideration. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think, that said, I think though, that I, if you I, want to do that playoff format for the top half of the table... You have to treat it similarly as a round robin, right? So how about about this? You're proposing 10 through 7 play Europa League playoffs, right? And sorry, you're saying 10 through 7 is playing the um, initial play-in matches, right? Mm -hmm. And 6 through 2 is playing their own matches or they're already into the second round, right? So what if yes. you have six through two play a, what is that, four-game round robin, so home and away twice versus all those teams that's randomly selected for those last three Champions League spots. And then you give mm-hmm. seven through ten the Europa League spots. And you have them play either a knockout or a three-game round robin so that, you know, maybe you get some... But I guess at that point, the teams that finish, you know, sixth and seventh would argue, like, Europa League money, like, the vast majority of the season has already been played. We want that. It it might not work, but... But hypothetically there, you could have the team finishing in 10th qualifying for European football in Burnley getting into the Europa... And then the team sitting in sixth place right now, not making Europe at all. Is so hypothetically, so hypoth- hypothetically, Burnley could get Champions League. I mean, hypothetically, sure. Yeah. So, so hypothetically, Newcastle could still qualify for the Champions League, but it's not going to happen. No. So, no, 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 so, 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 so that's this, a, that's the one thing. No, but that's the one thing I didn't mention is the teams eleven through fifteen are done. I figured they, I they figured don't play one more match when you didn't say anything about them. So. How about yeah, this? So, so 11 through 15 are done. They don't matter anymore. So, so That's great. Newcastle are safe for another season is all I'm hearing. Yeah. So how about this? You play a... You also say that teams 7 through 10 are done, right? And then you just play a okay. round robin of 6 through 2. That's five teams. There's going to be three Champions League spots and two Europa League spots. So nobody's feelings get hurt. That's good. That eliminates Spurs. I'm all for that. 
All right. I mean, I, obviously, there are a ton of complications, and I made it just even more complicated. But I, 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 I've always liked the idea of being able to implement a playoff system. Yes. And they have that in the championship. Like Honestly, it's not, it's not foreign to European football. I was gonna, I was gonna berate this idea for a good three to five minutes, but you won me over. I kind of want to see it. I, I want to see a version of this. Yeah, there you go. I think this is a good reason why we're not in charge of making these important decisions, though. Also um, true, yes. To, to, my, to my point earlier, there is no perfect way to solve it. Somebody is going to get butthurt by this and is going to get really pissed off by the ultimate decision. So it remains to be seen, guys. It's going to be an interesting decision when it finally comes time to make it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I, I, I will say the teams 11 through 15 are the ones who deserve to be butthurt because who cares about a mid-table side? I do. Me, yeah, Newcastle both United of you club. do. What are you talking about, no, dude? dude <laughs> Zach's no, a fake plastic fan. Zach's, I'm a Newcastle cynic. Zach's sitting in front of his Newcastle flag. I want everybody to know that he is a true fan. He is. Yeah, I know he gets true. he gets slated a lot by Adam for not being a true fan, but he is. <laughs> He's got your back. I like it. Brothers reunite. Appreciate that. Cool. So, do we want to jump into Gus's question now? Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. Go ahead, right. Gus. Okay. Nice. I guess. Quick what, what do you have for here? us? What is the best game that you've ever watched? I want one answer for in person and one answer for TV. Ooh. Mm. Zach, do you want to go first with this one or do you want to go second? Well, how about we do this? How about we all do a TV and then we all do an in person? I like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So I'll, I'll start for TV. Um, Adam, I think you could probably guess. I actually, I think you could probably both guess which game I'm thinking of. You're, it's going to be the Arsenal 4-4, right? It's absolutely good. So it was between two for me. Um, it was between the Arsenal 4-4. Arsenal 4-4 is 1A. And then 1B, and I hate to say this, Gus, is the 2-0 win yeah. at Chelsea. Because Poppy Cissé scored not just a wonder goal, but the best brace I have ever seen in my entire life. Because yeah. his first goal, the way he propped that up and hit it on the volley, and Czech did not move, like that goal was phenomenal on its own. I'll go with the Arsenal match in 2011-2012 in season uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, you know, looking back now, a big element of it is the kind of tragedy of, of Czech Teote, how that was, you know, the, the, the wonder volley he scored to make that, to put that game at 4-4 was, in fact, the only goal he ended up scoring in the Premier League uh, and has, has since passed away, uh, sadly, uh, from a heart condition. So that is an element looking at it now, but it's one of the few, like, there, there are a handful of matches that I've watched Newcastle play where I can remember every single detail of watching that match. And that, that was, that was what, uh, I guess that was eight years ago now. Um, and I remember, I remember when Teote hit the volley to make it four, four after Newcastle was down four nil at halftime against Arsenal, uh, hosting Arsenal. I, I remember just like losing my mind to like a different level. And so I think that that, that match is the one that sticks out for me because I, I don't think I've ever felt that level of like joy and, and just kind of raw emotion that and ever again since watching that match. 
And the camera angle on Alan Pardew as they focus over when it goes to 4-4 with the fist, the, fist like, in the air. Yeah, the, fi- the fist in the air where we all thought that Pardew was a good manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, he lost for a day at least. So it was a, Yeah, so, so that, that one really sticks out to me. You guys gave him an eight-year contract. I just, I just want to point that out. Okay, you guys is not, was not a exact decision. We did, we did, we did. That's so funny. I think he lasted a year and a half of that. I don't even know just if it stupid. was that long. Just stupid. So, so Adam, what is your what is your match for for TV viewing? So I had two that were really close as well, and I'm older than you guys, so I remember this pretty well. Um, the 1962 World Cup. 19, oh, yeah, man. watching Wales in 1958 <laughs> in the World Cup. No, um, the first one was um, Tino Espria getting a hat trick against Barcelona against in the Champions Barcelona, League. Barcelona, of course, three two. Um, but the one I went with actually was not a Newcastle game. The one I went with was actually um, a Manchester United game. It was the 1999 UEFA Champions League final when they beat Bayern Munich at the New Camp. Um, back in the day, the treble was something that was like only talked about. Like nobody was ever going to like achieve this amazing treble-winning season of getting the Champions League, the Premier League, and the FA Cup. Um, and Manchester United did it, and the Champions League final was the final game for them to seal it. Um, I'll give you some kind of like background on it as well, because I know it's a long, long time ago. Um, they played each other actually in the group stages. Bayern Munich and Man U did. They drew 1-1 and 2-2 respectively in the group stages. And they had great players at that time, but they were both known specifically for having like really great goalkeepers. Oliver Kahn, who was a Germany goalkeeper, and then Peter Schmeichel, whose son Kasper now plays for Leicester, um, probably one of the greatest of all time for me, Danish keeper um, for Manchester United. The game started, it was an early goal. Um, it's got the Germany-England rivalry that you know is so common uh, in history. An early goal from Mario Basler. Um, scores a free kick um, right at the start of the game. Slides on both knees, starts pumping his fists in front of the uh, Man U fans. You know, really sticking it to the English. Um, and the game goes on, and they, they continue on the game. Um, Manchester United turn everything at them. Couldn't break the deadlock. The sign goes up. Three minutes of added time. It's still 1-0 to Bayern Munich. And then about 30 sec- 36 seconds into added time, corner comes over from Beckham, gigs on the air- edge of the area, rifles in a shot, Teddy Sheringham re-diverts it the other way, and I'll never forget Clive Tilsley's the commentator. I was sitting there with my dad in the chair, and we both jumped out of the chair, and he went, gigs with the shot, Sheringham! It's like that uh, that moment with Troy Deeney that you were talking about a few weeks ago. Yeah, ah, uh, dude, the Troy Deeney goal was that's that's my favorite yeah. commentary ever. It's but yeah, like I know it, what you mean. Or or the or or the you know the etched in history yeah. Aguero moment. Yeah. Peter Schmeichel yeah. was actually up for that corner um, that, that Sheringham wow. scored from. Um, so he scored, um, and then a couple minutes later, you know, you think it's going to extra time, and what's going to happen? Or the English team going to lose on penalties again after extra time? Uh, and then they get another corner. It's like two two minutes uh, ninety plus two on the clock. Um, they Peter Schmeichel looks over at Alex Ferguson and is like, "Should I go up for this one?" He's like, "No, you stay back." Uh, cross comes in from Beckham. Uh, and Solskjaer scores the winner. Um, slides on his knees over in front of the German uh, Bayern Munich fans the exact same way that Basler did, just basically taking the piss out of him. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the other thing that when I was like kind of reading up on this game, I didn't realize that Pierluigi Colina, you know Colina, the referee, the bald referee, the Italian one, very famous one. He, mm-hmm. he cited this as one of the most memorable games of his career. And he said when the final whistle blew, it was like hearing lions roar at the final whistle. So... Um, 
from, from one of the greatest refs of all time, one of the greatest games of all time. I just remember sitting there with my dad and just thinking the game was done and two goals in injury time, winning the Champions League and the treble for Man United. That's awesome. That was, I enjoyed that allegory. Thank you, sir. That's a good one. Goosebumps. Gus, what is, what is yours? All right. So I have a Homer one and I have a neutral one. Neutral first. I think it must be the 5-1 Netherlands versus Spain in the World Cup in, uh, mm. when was it, 2014? At the, where uh, Robin mm-hmm. Van Persie scored the diving header off the Daily Blint cross uh, from way deep. Oof. And I just thought that like the dismantling of the uh, current world champions and European champions, because they'd won three in a row at that point, um, European World Cup, yeah. European again. I just thought that that was like the most incredible feat. Um, and Robin Van Persie, he was a United player at the time, but he was one of my favorite players um, at that point. I just thought that he was so crafty and so good with both feet, particularly his left. Um, so that game definitely sticks out in my mind. And then. Obviously, the game that means the most to me as a soccer fan is the Champions League win in Munich in 2012, May 19th, 2012. Um, I just, oh my God. Uh, I remember. That was, that was the, I wrote you remarkable had no business game. winning that Champions League, and, and none. you did. None. Ryan Bertrand and Salomon Kalou on the wings <laughs> in that championship <laughs> final. Dude, so, so, Solomon Kalou makes my starting eleven as favorite, just under like underappreciated players of all time. Absolutely, <laughs> I don't disagree with you. He was he was honestly a great rotational slash, you know, come in when you need a goal type of player. That's who he was. Um, Ryan Bertrand has gone on to do really good things at Southampton, so go for him. Um, but all I can remember is is like Juan Mata going up to take that. I mean, we were we were being absolutely bombarded the entire game, and Mata goes up to take that corner after going down to a Muller header where he headed it into the ground and above check, um, and you just like felt that something was going to happen in 82nd minute 82nd minute Drogba comes in and with like that iconic just turn of the head and the shoulders puts it right near post past Neuer uh and then oh my god and then Drogba gives up the penalty in extra time and Robin is saved by check like that was a, a whole nother level of just like heart <laughs> palpitations and um and then, obviously, Gary Neville's classic call of it's written in the stars and Drugba goes and buries that, that penalty to win it uh, at the very end. Just I, I, like, I still remember running around the living room in my house like, yeah. holy shit, we just won. <sighs> yeah, that, that, that match was remarkable. I, I've always said that that Drugba header is the best header I've ever seen. I think it might be like, the best the, header the way- of all time. The power that he generated on that, and you're right, that iconic snap of the neck yeah. was like that. I, I think that was like that. That was <laughs> that was the moment in which I realized how hard, like how impressive 
a header, header goal off a corner truly is. It's, yeah, it's, that was a good one. it's one of my best soccer memories. But anyway, now, live. What's the best game you've seen live? Oof. All right, I'll start. Um, I'm going to take it back to the MLS, guys. Oh, hell yeah. Let's go. Yep. It's a big homer here. <laughs> uh, this, this is actually a really a really cool game I got to, got to witness live. Uh, I was a season ticket holder for the Rapids for a couple years. Um, and the game that I'm talking about is when the Rapids actually beat the Galaxy to qualify for the Western Conference Championship game. Um, so it was a two-legged affair. Galaxy won the first game, won nothing in L.A., and then um, they came into um, Colorado knowing that they just basically needed to keep a clean sheet and they would um, they'd qualify for the Western Conference Championship, which ended up being against Seattle. And this is the first season that Tim Howard was playing for the Rapids. I've kind of always been a Tim Howard hater. I thought that, like, not that I think he's a bad goalkeeper, but I thought that it was a bad investment from the Rapids. They had a really decent goalkeeper from an MLS level standpoint in Clint Irwin. Um, and then they brought, they decided they want to get people in the seats, in the stands, they want to fill out the ground, and they brought in um, our boy Tim Howard, uh, and he came in. But I didn't think it was what the Rapids needed at the time. But defensively that season, they were really, really solid. Um, and they came into that game needing to obviously keep a clean sheet because they um, didn't want to give up the away goal and they needed to oh, excuse me and they needed to um, go ahead and get the uh, the equalizing goal in regular time so first half midway through I'm in the stands a guy that an Albanian player called Skeltsen Gashi you guys ever heard of him no literally can't never. Say I have. no he was a designated player for the Rapids a few seasons ago anyway he he uh, puts in a screamer goes in off the post uh, in the first half we get to 90 minutes, it's 1-1 on aggregate. We go a little bit further into the game. It goes to a penalty shootout, and I think this is actually the first ever penalty shootout that I've witnessed in person. Uh, and obviously there are huge expectations on the shoulders of Tim Howard. He saves two penalties in the penalty shootout, and uh, the Rapids go through to the Western Conference Championships Finals on PKs. So it was just a, a great experience to be there, to witness a penalty shootout, to win a penalty shootout, to see the much maligned goalkeeper um, really be the star and the hero of it. Uh, Rapids ended up losing the, um, the next set of games against the, um, against the Sounders and didn't make the MLS championship game, but just a really great moment to be a part of. Sticks out in my memory for me. Nice. Hmm. I like that. I like that I mean, lot. playoffs. You that experience, Adam. We've already established that Zach loves playoffs. He Penalty does. shootouts. I do like playoffs. They're great. I do like playoffs. Drama. Yeah. Goalkeeper substitutions. You had everything. Yeah, it really does. Um, cool. Gus, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I mean, for me, it's I had the privilege of going to Stamford Bridge uh, in October with my brother and one of my best friends, uh, Charlie Davies, who happens to be a uh, Chelsea season ticket holder and uh, was very kind in inviting my brother and I to go with him. And my brother was studying in uh, Siena, Italy at the time. So it was just easy for us to meet up in London to see each other for the weekend and go to this match. And just like the whole game day atmosphere around being an actual Chelsea fan. We walked from Charlie's home in Chelsea to... uh, I forget the name of the pub that we went to, but it's like the stereotypical Chelsea pub. It, you know, 
wall to wall with fans before and after the game. Um, pints just flowing so easily. Then you walk down the Kings Road to the sorry, is it the Kings Road or the Fulham Road? I had a lot to drink. I don't really remember. Um, <laughs> it's one of the two. Uh, you walk straight down it to the stadium. You go in. You have another pint. You go to your seats, and we had we had incredible seats. Um, basically, at, at the midfield line, uh, first first stand, like first tier of the stand, uh, and it was it was gorgeous. We were playing Newcastle that day, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. Marco, yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Marco Alonso scored uh, a second half winner. Um, to win the game for us, and I, you know, like being there with my brother was great. He and I have supported Chelsea since our, you know, our father told us he was a Chelsea fan, and uh, and it was just, it was, it, it was one of the best days I've had in a really long time. So that's that's got to be best live game I've ever seen. Marcus Alonso has how many goals now in the season, Gus? Ooh, it's got to be like seven. He's, he, has set, he has seven times the amount of goals that Joel Linton has in the Premier League this season. No way. Don't tell me Joel Linton <laughs> only has one goal. Still just one in the Premier League. Oh, that's shocking. That is <laughs> – that. oh, God. You guys paid £40 million for him. Mm-hmm. But to, that's true. To switch it back to Marcus Alonso, though, what a great goal-scoring season he's having. Like, great, great yeah, contribution for the team. So, this year – sorry – I think last year it was seven goals, but this year it's four goals in only 11 games in the Premier League. Three assists as well. So, like, bang for your buck. But he's only played 11 matches? In the Premier League, apparently. He was injured for a while. I find it... Okay, Okay, I was going to say... I find it frustrating that um, Frank decided to freeze him out of the team for so long because not only is he... I mean, he is suspect defensively I will but he is one of our only options offensively and for the entire season Mm -hmm. we were relying on Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount to do something for us Willian as well he's had a great season but it was just not enough and having somebody like Alonso who could bomb up the left wing and and have something extra to provide the team something different that other teams don't have to deal with most of the time. A tall left wing back who's able to A, shoot the ball, B, head the ball, C, make good passes, D, cross the ball. It's It, it just provides a different dynamic that I think we were missing for a lot of the season. Yeah, I agree. Also, I would say top five best hair in the Premier League. Oh, easily. Yeah, and it's not even a question. No, no like, not at all. It's a beautiful hair, that man. Speaking of beautiful hair, Zach, what is your oh. top moment in person? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Adam. Yeah, for, uh, our, uh, for our listeners who can't exactly see Zach, he does have some good locks. He does. I'll give him I appreciate that. that. He has a one, appreciate one direction that, hair, hairline there. As the, I try. Um, as the person on this podcast with the least amount of hair... I'll say that Zach's hair is the best. Oh, for sure. No, no arguments I, there. 
Let's stop this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so my uh, my best in person game um, was uh, a match between two clubs, uh, neither of which I support actually in in any regard. Um, and so, spring of twenty sixteen, uh, I spent a semester studying in Florence, Italy. Um, and during this time, uh, I was able to take a Tuesday night trip down uh, set the kind of spine of, of the Italian countryside from Florence to Rome and see a Roma-Real Madrid Champions League game. Um, so just, it's really, again, I had nothing invested in this match, but it like the environment of a Champions League game, especially in a country uh, like Italy that is so, you know, it, football is so heavily entrenched in their culture. It was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. It, my friend and I, uh, I went with a friend who is another football fan. We, we took the train down after class. Um, and it, it's interesting because the Stadio Olimpico, which is where Roma plays, is quite a bit outside the city center, like certainly not in what you would consider downtown Rome. Um, and so you have to take a number of kind of not not subways, but shuttles and whatnot to get their trolleys. Um, and the closer you get to Stadio Olimpico, the more people in every uh, you know form of public transit you're taking there was. And by the time that we actually got to the final stop and started walking to the stadium, it was just a mob of, of people. And it was it was funny for me because just two weeks prior, I was at the same stadium to see Lazio play a, uh, a matinee on Sunday. And the Stadio Olimpico holds about 80,000 people. And they were probably at most 20,000 at the Lazio match. But at the, at the Real Madrid-Roma Champions League game, the, the entire place was full. It was 80,000 strong. Um, and the match itself was not the best match in the world, but what I did get to see in Cristiano Ronaldo's second to last season with Real Madrid is a what I would consider a classic Ronaldo goal, which is him going down the left wing, doing that chop mm. inside, and then, and then curling the ball back post. Mm. And it, I was just... My friend and I, who had nothing invested in the match, had to like kind of silence ourselves because it was so impressive, but we were in a deeply Italian section of the stadium, mm. and I wasn't willing to make any enemies, mm. but it was just, it was like a remarkably nice goal, and I, I remember that really, really, really well. What was your and camera was, angle, was, or what was your angle on that goal? So, so, so that was the best part, is that I was right behind Ronaldo. Uh, <laughs> so, so I saw, uh, I, 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 I had the, what I would describe as the Paul Pogba yes. Juventus volley angle. Yes. I hope you both know, know what exactly I'm talking, what about. talking about. That's the perfect <laughs> angle for that goal. That, and it was just the Ronaldo chop, which nobody else in the entire world does that chop, mm -hmm. and then the curler back post with his right was, it was astonishing. Filthy. Great player. Great player. Mm. All right, so uh, I think we're going to take a quick commercial break here, uh, but after the advertisements, we'll get back. We'll run through my question, and then uh, we will go into a couple more sections for the day. So be right back. All right, welcome back to the False Nines. Um, we're mixing it up a little bit this week. We've got our guest back, uh, Angus Armstrong, friend of the pod. True friend of the pod, Zach, you'd say, right? 
I would say the biggest friend of the pod of all the people we've called a friend of the he's pod. He's back with us and he's uh, answering some questions. Having been on, what, 10 episodes? I'd say I'm a good friend. You're a very pod. good friend of the pod. You're a, bit, you're a massive friend good of the pod. Good to have you back, man. Well, uh, we're going to round it off here with our three questions. Uh, actually, Zach, it's your turn. So go ahead and tee us up for our final question. All right, lads. Uh, so, so my question is um, a two-parter, just just like Gus's, and I'll ask you: Which player would you most enjoy having a conversation with? Uh, and I'm going to ask for one living player, so it doesn't have to be an active player, but a living player, and then one deceased player. Uh, let's start with Gus. What do you have for us? Okay. Let me make this clear that being a conversation, it has to be a player who also shares the English language with me, for I can speak no other languages. Therefore, living Frank Lampard, always the Chelsea player who I admired the most, all-time leading goal scorer, current manager, and also genuinely or generally re- regarded as a very smart man, been said to have 150 IQ, would like to pick his brain. Dead player, George Best. That man lived a fucking life. Mm. I want to have a drink with him <laughs> at a pub and talk about all the shit that he did. I like that a lot. What, what's his uh, What's his most famous quote? It's um, I, I spent I spent uh, what is it? I, I spent ninety percent of I my spe- money on women and booze. The rest of it I wasted. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. I want to have a drink with a man who has that kind of attitude towards life. <laughs> I like that a lot. I can't I, hang out with him all the time, time, but I want to. I want to. I want to have one drink with that man. That turns into yeah, Norton. the inevitable, like seven pints and a night out. But you know, Nor- Northern Irish legend. Northern Irish legend. Yeah. I like that a lot. All right, Adam, what what do you have for us? No, let's go to Adam next, yeah. All right. Um, I've got a little bit of a Welsh theme here. Um, Living would be Gareth Bale. Um, I kind of, there's so much controversy around, like, his feelings about Real Madrid, Zinedine Zidane's feelings about him. I'd really wait, wait Adam. Through. Adam, you you mispronounced Hal Rabson Kanu. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I would like to have a beer with him as well. Um, but, but Bale is just like I mean, one, at one point was the most expensive player in the world. Um, was much kind of appreciated there for a while, and then now can barely barely make the team. I'd like to ask him kind of. Wales Golf Madrid, is it really in that order? Or is it like, is there a little bit more love for Real Madrid than he lets on? I'm sure in my heart of hearts, I'd like to think that he loves Real Madrid, the club, but probably hates Zinedine Zidane. Um, And I'd love to know in hindsight, would he he have gone there had he known how it was all going to pan out as well? I mean, he absolutely would have got there. He won, what, three Champions Leagues? He did, yeah. But scored in two finals. Would he have liked to do that in the Copa del Rey final? Uh, made yeah, and the Champions League final. Yeah, I think he Played, looks back at his yeah, career. Oh, yeah, he's I, got a lot of accolades from that team. No, no, but I agree with and you, Adam. Like his relationship, he wanted to. His relationship with Real Madrid is very complex because he did score two of the most iconic Real Madrid goals in the last five years with that Copa del Rey goal, and then with the Champions League bicycle kick. But yeah, it, the way in which six the, years, that was kind of the, the fandom and the upper management has turned on him has been pretty remarkable. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. So my deceased player I picked out is my, my favorite player of all time is Gary Speed. Um, what, captain for Ooh, Wales, captain for Newcastle, um, manager of the Welsh football team when he took his own life in 2011. Um, the biggest question I want to ask him was why. I mean, um, there's rumors about depression. There's rumors about him having mental health problems that were never really diagnosed. He was a very popular player, very popular with, you know, gave back a lot to the team. Um, I'd love to have seen if he would have gone on to, to manage Newcastle one day. He obviously, it was his first coaching job when he managed uh, Welsh football and really kind of built it from there. He built the foundations that Coleman built upon to get Wales to the semifinals of the Euros. So um, just somebody who I'd love to, to chat with and learn a little bit more about and um, just hear about his passion for, for Welsh football and for Newcastle would be, would be awesome for me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. Gary Speed was quite a bit before my time in terms of Newcastle fandom, but definitely the the lore of him as a player has lived on uh, for for a number of decades. Yeah, Leeds and Everton legend as well. He's a big Everton fan actually. He grew up a, an Everton fan because he lived up in North Wales, pretty close to the English border. So Everton was his quote unquote local team. Um, so mm. loved playing for them, um, and then really kind of bad exit from Newcastle. Um, like Sam Allardyce basically froze him out and he went over to Sheffield United um, to kind of finish up his career. It's kind of, kind of hmm. shitty. Uh, anyway, Zach, what about you? Um, you're alive and dead players you'd like to have a beer with per se. Sure. So um, both of these are, are kind of out of left field. Um, but my, my living player, I, I thought about it for a while and I, w- I would love to have a conversation with David Beckham. Uh, and the reason for that being is David Beckham really like he, he the influence that he had on world football in the early to mid 2000s it can't be overstated i, I think the the way in which he really almost kind of alone led football it kind of like blended football and pop culture and then fashion as well um is just really interesting to me to see that kind of uh, interconnectivity of, of the sport and and larger society, and I, I think that really he kind of led the way and blazed that trail. Uh, and then as as a footballer, um, David Beckham regarded as one of the greatest players in in English history, uh, one of the best free kick takers of all time. He scored that iconic goal to. Uh, send that iconic free kick to to send uh, England to what was it the two thousand four Euros uh, the ones in Greece um, and that's you know a pretty pretty famous uh, goal so yeah I, I would love having a conversation with him just about kind of how he sees himself in in the history of world football and not just to mention Nadzak also like the how he put MLS on the map I think that's a big, yeah. big part of his career too that's like, a great point yeah. yeah. The decision to come over when he was still very much in the prime of his career um, and play for the Galaxy and really kind of bring up the level of football in the MLS and attract a lot of bigger name players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and then for my dead player, this is one that I, I'm curious if either of you two have heard of this player. Uh, I chose the Brazilian winger Garincha as the dead player I'd most want to have a conversation with. Have either of you two ever heard of Garincha? I have not. Shame to say. He won the World Cup with them in what, like 74? So he, he did win the World Cup with them, but a bit earlier. He won the World Cup in twice, in 58 and then 1962. Uh, okay. And 
Garincha was a, a Brazilian winger who was born in 1933, died in 1983, so only lived 50 years, but really lived and played in the golden era of Brazilian football. Um, and I, I've actually read quite a bit about him, he regarded as one of the greatest dribblers of all time, kind of invented that like in-cutting winger position, uh, player, players who really take on the defense. Um, and, and just a couple of facts about him for you, uh, one of which is astonishing. So in 1999, uh, FIFA did this vote um, of player of the century, and he actually came in seventh in that vote, which is pretty astonishing for a player that uh, probably a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, and the, the other fact that is really just incredible, uh, a man who spent almost his entire career playing internationally, is that Brazil only lost one match in which he played, and they never lost any matches in which both he and Pele played in the same team. Wow. To be up in the conversation there with Pele, I mean, pretty incredible. And so that's exactly kind of why I would love to have a conversation with him, is that at first I would want to you know hear about what it's like to win two World Cups in consecutive tournaments, but I, I would also love to talk to him about what it's like kind of being somewhat in Pele's shadow, and, and probably... When, when they were both playing together, that wasn't the case. But it would be interesting to have this kind of like, you know, fantastical post-mortem conversation with him now where Pele is known as, you know, the greatest Brazilian player of all time, if not the greatest player of all time. And very few people know of the kind of the accomplishments of Garincha. So I'd love to hear like his relationship with Pele um, and, and just really everything that that, that involves. Cool. I like that one. Very right original on. one. I think that's a good one. All right. Well, so Gus going to the bathroom has marked <laughs> the end of our question section. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Adam, I know you have a new section that you wanted to toss in for our uh, unique episode today. What do you want to talk about next? Yeah, I did. Um, so this one is just a, a section that actually my dad helped me come up with. Um, so I give a shout out to him. This one's called Middle Names. So um, I have five players where I'm going to give you their middle name. Gus, these will be five Chelsea players for you, Zach, five Newcastle players. Oh, there we go. I'm going to give you All their right. current, I will be current, extremely current disappointed. Numbers. I will be extremely disappointed if Kurt Happy Zuma is not one of the answers. <laughs> God damn it. How did you know that one? All right, I have four questions because for Gus. Because his five... middle name is Happy. It is, yeah. So Kurt Zuma was actually going to be my first one. So now I'm going to go with four for Gus. He's already ruined the segment. Good job, Gus. Oh! <laughs> All right. I've already got one down. All right. Down. We will start with... Are you, are, you, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So our next player for you, Mr. Gus, is Ogunatega Tamaraibi. Okay, Tamaraibi sounds like Tamori. Fikaya Tamori. Nope, Kevin Ogatanega Tamaraibi Bakumo Abraham. Tammy Abraham. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Where, where, is, where is his family from? Uh, I, I want to no say idea. Nigeria. He's, but I could be very he's, he's wrong. He's a proud Englishman who's looking forward to representing England, England in Euro 2021. All right, next one. Borges da Silva. Uh, Brazilian William. He's the only Brazilian we have. Yep, you are correct. William Borges da Silva. 
Uh, next one is Mate or Mate, M-A-T-E. Okay. Uh, it's a Romanian. It's Mate, uh, but we don't have any Romanians, but it could be Spanish. Marcus Alonso? Christian Pulisic, your boy, guys. You're oh, the greatest American okay. player. It's Pulisic. You call him by his proper name. Yeah, come on. Yeah, Pulisic. Sorry, Pulisic, whatever. That makes sense, All right. though. Last one, a little bit of a trick question for you guys. Jonathan. Jonathan. Oh, Jesus. Um, sounds very English. Uh, Mason Mount. Zach? Uh, I like Mason Mount as well. All right, I like Mason Mount too, but it's not the right answer. It's Olivier Jonathan. <laughs> well, he just has a silly French name then, doesn't he? He does. I don't know many Jonathans in France, but there you go. All right, Zach, for you, five Newcastle players, current players. Start off with Lucas, L-U-K-A-S. Mm, the K makes me think Eastern European. Dubravka? That sounds like it could be Slovakian. It's not. Uh, it, Martin Dubravka has no middle name. This is Fabian Lucas Charnaldo. All right. I, I support anything that Fabian Char does. Including his screamers from long range. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next one is Angel or Ankiel. Miggy. He's an absolute angel. Miguel Ankiel Almiron Rejala <laughs> is the correct answer. Next one is Irene. I-R-E-N-E-E. Irene. You could convince me that is from any country in the world, but I will go with Brazil, so I will go with uh, Newcastle legend Joe Linton. Joe Linton. It is not. Okay. Um, any, any guesses, Gus? French? Uh, Florian Lejeune? Nope. It's actually Alan Irene Saint-Maximin, Saint but you are correct with the French, my friend. Saint-Maximin. Okay. okay. Uh, two more to go. Ben. Bang. A chav. Uh, it, is, it is definitely a chav. I'm going to go with Ben. I'm going to go with Sean Longstaff. Oh, it's his brother, Zach. It's Matty Ben Longstaff. Oh, Matty sneaking up as he does. I would have right. gone John Joe Shelby. So. John Joe. John Joe Shelby also, no middle names. John, John Joe Shelby's middle name is That's Thomas because, Riddle. <laughs> no, his middle name is Joe. It's John <laughs> Joe Shelby. <laughs> could be it could be we, we all jay simpson we, we all we all wish we all wish <laughs> all right last one for you guys um devon boyd b-o-y-d that's a weird one sounds pretty british but i feel like you you wouldn't do two brits in a row i'll go with terence boyd american striker yeah i like the american part of that i'll go with deandre De- uh, devon boyd uh yedlin it's not. It's Dwight Devon Boyd Gale, Newcastle's number nine should, for a little while. Should have stuck with my gut there. Yep, I, yep. When was the last time he played for Newcastle? A couple weeks ago, I think. Back really? when we finally dropped Joe Linton. Yeah. I was going to say, your strikers are that bad that you're playing championship best player ever, Dwight Gale. Yeah, he is yeah. so championship that's, level. That's, that's exactly it's, correct. He, he is the definition of championship level. He really is. Hey. He's Kevin Phillips, number two. Yes, absolutely. Uh, cool. All right. That was that was a good one, Adam. I enjoyed that section. Yes, uh, I did enjoy middle names. Cool. So so we're going to take a, another quick break, and then we will come back and wrap it up with the section 10 doll sections, 10 and 90. Be back in a moment. 
All right, and we are back, and we're going to wrap it up with 10 and 90, everybody's favorite section, the world's favorite section. Uh, and let's let's dial it back to when we started 10 and 90. Uh, Gus, do you want to you want to reel back the years here? I'm going to reel back the years. I got five questions that are going to go to each of you, so it is 10 still in 90. Okay. Um, what is your favorite okay. color? <laughs> blue uh, dark d- dark purple okay interesting royalty very specific very specific uh, will the nfl draft happen in april y- yeah they'll do th- yes they'll do they'll do so? it originally they're why it wouldn't happen i think so april. i'm not so sure yeah. yeah i think so half of them are in like separate rooms anyway the the Saints GM today All was like, I can't have a draft without people in like the same room as me. So I don't know. It was on my mind. Um, <laughs> guys, you know I'm a big WWE fan. They're doing WrestleMania without people over two nights. They better test everybody for COVID. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they have been. They've been keeping it going. They've been doing these shows in front of no audiences. So That's weird. Hey, the show right. must go on. Question three. What do you think of my mustache? For the listeners, it's quite... Full and wonderful. Uh, I, I've already told you this before the pod. We start recording here, bud. You're like a young Sam Allardyce, uh, who may, who may sell it. me a car or try and steal my child. I will submit a an, uh, an adapted version of that answer. I'll say that Gus is what Sam Allardyce has always dreamed of being. Wow. <laughs> As I sit in my tiny New York City apartment, that makes me feel good. Thank you, Zach. Okay. Not a problem. Question number four. What is the most bored you've been (laughs) mid-corona? I've got a really good one for this one, actually. Good. I watched, um, uh, I I follow the Colorado Rapids on Facebook, and there was a live stream of a Colorado Rapids player playing FIFA against a Houston Dynamo player, both playing on FIFA as their respective teams. And it was the best of three series. I sat there and watched that. That was a pretty bad moment. You're, 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 not only, you're, you're not only watching people play FIFA, but you're watching people play as two pretty awful teams in <laughs> FIFA. <laughs> and it wasn't even like good players on the Rapids and Dynamo either. It was pretty funny. But yeah, that was, that was my uh, Sunday evening last week. I like that a lot. Um, most bored, I would say... I... Um, hmm. I started taking meetings uh, for work in my bathroom because I just felt like I needed to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> are you are you video conferencing those or are you just no, like on no no audio? that's that's pure voice conferencing. He's on calls. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'd okay. say that's most bored I've been. That's Question number magical. five: What's the most exciting thing to happen to you mid Corona? Mm, that's a good follow up. Uh, I won seventy dollars playing poker last week. Oh. I hope it was virtual, and you were keeping at least six feet away from your virtual counterparts. Sure. <laughs> I refinanced my house today. Oh, smart. Yeah, Very low rates. 4.125 to 3.375%. Yeah, that's a big win. Kept my, kept my monthly rate about the same. Shaved eight months off of my, uh, my uh, actual 30-year mortgage, and... Uh, did lots of great adulting today, so I'm really proud of myself. Damn. Big win, big win. That's mm-hmm. 
Very exciting. Good for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Zach, bonus question for you: What was your overall? Or give me one word to describe my skiing. Ooh, <laughs> compact. <laughs> very. You're a very. You're a very compact skier. Compact. Gus is a quite. Quite Gus is a quite good skier. Uh, and for for the listeners, Gus is a quite large man, and he has grace and agility when going down the slopes. Wow! Wow! I I've feel... never heard of a graceful Scotsman. That's a quite the compliment there. I'm honored. Grace yeah. is something I've I've never been called graceful before. This yeah. is well, amazing. Today's a new day, my friend. Today's a new it's a day. New day. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so so that we end on Scottish or uh, Welsh mispronunciations, I'll go next. All right, go for it. All right, so uh, again, a similar format to Gus. I have five questions that I'd like you both to answer. Question number one, which player would annoy you the fastest in a joint quarantine situation? Oh, that's a really good Paul question. Paul Pogba. Who? Paul Pogba. All right, I like that. He's obsessed with social media, is a total diva, is exactly who I don't want to be hanging out with. It's Paul Pogba. All right. Adam? I would go with any Sunderland player. Probably my most despised Sunderland player um, of all time. Maybe, maybe let's go back to Paolo Di Canio as oh, Sunderland yeah. manager. I like also that. Also a fascist, not a good person to be in Just not a good person. quarantine with. Yeah. That's a good call. All right, boys. Question number two, very similar to question number one. Which current manager would annoy you the fastest in a joint quarantine situation? (laughs) Sean Dyche. (laughs) Why Sean Dyche? He's a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man, but he would be exacting and, like, wanting me to wake up, like, at least half an hour before my morning call at 8 a.m. to get, like, the crunches and the, you know, sprints up and down the stairs of my five-floor apartment in, something like that. You know, it would just be too much. I like I'm going to go with Jose Mourinho. Zach, I think yeah, he's, yeah. Lost, he's lost slash is losing the plot. I knew you were going to say that. Um, I mean, but not a bad answer. Uh, okay, question number three. Um, if you were to assemble a three-a-side team with one defender, one midfielder, and one forward currently playing, who would you choose? Okay, repeat that one more time. So five-a-side team, three-a-side three team. Three-a-side three team. One Got defender, it. one midfielder, one forward. So it's got to be it's got to be Messi and Van Dyke. And then a midfielder, yes. you can you can basically pick like whoever you want to. Um, can I move Messi back to midfield and then pick Ronaldo as striker? I like that. Yeah, I think you can do that. He can play there you go. ten. There, th- those are those are my three. All right, I, I know that Zach is going to love this answer, but I'm going to go with Trent Alexander Arnold. Okay, ridiculous. I'm going to go with Alan Saint Maximin. Okay, I'm going to go with Erling Holland. <laughs> Very, very interesting. The the one that I have the most issue with is uh, Alexander Arnold because what do you need a crossing fullback in a three aside team? I, that's a great question. <laughs> I was gonna go with Van Dyke to be honest, but then, but then, <laughs> but I, just, but then I took it. Yeah, he was. He was the like, I can understand the Saint Maximin thing because he's a great dribbler of the ball, and like you probably need that in three aside. But like, 
Alexander Arnold. Come on. <laughs> I like that I answer. Thought, I thought it would make Zach happy. That was that was funny. All right, all right. <laughs> Question number four: um, If you practiced juggling a football for one hour every day until the quarantine ended, how many consecutive juggles do you think you could do? Realistically, ten. Ten. Zach, you're going to be the highest at this, but I think I could get to, let's say the quarantine goes until mid-April, so I've got a month. I'll say 25. I like that. I like the modesty and realisticness. Um, I'm not good with my feet. I'm not. That's all right. You are a great defender, though, and we both know this. A great free kick taker once upon a time. Unbelievable free kick taker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, and fifth question – Kind of scaling or dialing back to the beginning of the podcast in a way. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best goal you have ever watched live on television? Robin Van Persie versus Spain, uh, 2014 World Cup. Already referenced this episode. Book it. Yeah, like it. Um, I always think back to uh, old Leeds player that you guys might not have heard of. A guy called Tony Yaboa. He scored two oh, yeah. goals in one season for, for Leeds that both kind of thundered in off the bottom of the crossbar and kind of like pinged down and, and into the net. Mm. He had two of those in the same season. If you look up Tony Yaboa goals, you'll find uh, you'll find a lot of those those goals from back in the day. It was a Ghanaian striker for Leeds. He's an amazing player. I like that. Um, I will uh, go fairly similar to Gus, uh, a Dutch player in the World Cup, but I'll do a different World Cup. Giovanni Wagenbrocker's 40-yard screamer in the 2010 World Cup was the most amazing goal I've ever seen. That, that One of the other was... ones that was on my, my list was the, um, the Roberto Car- Carlos free kick that looked like it was swerving like 10, 15 did you, did you watch it? Did you watch that live? I did watch it live, yeah. Oh, you did? Wow. That's he's, cool. he's old enough, Zach. That's so true, so true. He's, he's old. That's um, true. All right, That's cool. True. Adam, you want to hop into your 10 and 90? Wrap it up? Yeah, let me finish it up. I actually uh, prepped a different set of questions for each of you this time. So I'll start with Gus. Uh, Gus, your theme for the week is Scotland International Football History. Oh, let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> Who holds the most appearances for Scotland in international history? Easy one. Uh, it's either Kenny Dalgleish or Dennis Law. I'm going to go Dennis Law. Kenny Dalglish is the right answer. Uh, he has 102. He's actually the only player that has more than 100 caps for Scotland. Uh, there is a tie for top scorer, question number two. Between Kenny Dalglish and Dennis Law. That's absolutely right. I was going to say Kenny Dalglish is one who's the other, Dennis Law. That's right. So 30 goals, they both have a piece. Mm-hmm. Can't see anybody overtaking that anytime soon. With Scotland's uh, current strikers? No, absolutely not. Yeah. You, should, uh, you should know this next one then. Who is the current manager of the Scotland national team? It is, um, uh, he was the Steve Clark, assistant coach for Chelsea. He was, his last job was the Kilmarnock manager. That is correct. And he was actually caretaker manager for Newcastle for um, a couple games back in the day as well. He was, yes. He was, yep. Uh, Who is Chelsea's only current Scottish player? Billy Billy Gilmore. (laughs) Is the correct answer. Crushing it today. Seven years um, younger than me and Zach. He's 18. Okay, last question. Scotland only has one manager in their national team history who was not Scottish. Who is he? Oh. Oh, I like this. I'll give you the years, 2002 to 2004. Oh, man. Give him initials. Martin O'Neill? Or Michael O'Neill? 
No. One of the two? If I told you the nationality, do you think it would help? Yeah, definitely. He was German. Oh, you, um, it's not, um, oh, what was his name? Burned. Oh, you're so close. No. no. Uh, I don't know. Who is it? Birdie votes. Birdie votes. Ah, Birdie votes. Yeah, 28% win percentage from 32 games. He was, was not the best. That's not great. <laughs> I like those questions, though. Those are good. Well played. Yeah. All right, for you, Zach. Who's your favorite team in the Premier League? <laughs> um, uh, uh, for the sake of staying on our current podcasting channel, I'll go with Newcastle United. <laughs> That's the incorrect answer. Your questions are about Leicester City, your true favorite team in the Premier League. <laughs> All right, here we go. Who is Leicester's most expensive signing in club history? Oh. And Gus, you can chip in if you want to help us. Uh, all right, well, yeah, let me take a guess. Was it Tielemans? It is Tielemans for Monaco for forty yeah, million British pounds last year. Yep, yep, that's what I thought. Who is Leicester's all-time top goal scorer? This is a stinker of a question. Two hundred and seventy-three um, goals in twelve years at the club in the nineteen twenties. And then, uh, damn it, Adam, I don't. Ye old. Know. Why would I know? Why would I know the answer to that? I just wanted to mess with you. His name is <laughs> Arthur Chandler. Great. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Get that one in the back of your jersey. Uh, all right. What record did Leicester break this season at St. Mary's against Southampton? Um, the uh, uh, largest, uh, the, the most goals scored in a shutout away from home. Yeah, largest ever Premier League away win, 9-0. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. actually tied the largest ever win in the Premier League, home or away, which was 9-0. For Man United against Ipswich in 1995, so massive win, especially away from home. All right, um, Leicester's best ever European season was in 2017 in the Champions League. Which team knocked them out in the quarterfinal stage? Ooh, man, I have no idea. Do you want to give me the country? Spain. Uh, yeah, Spain. Yep. It's in, uh, Atletico. It was Atletico yep. 2-1 on aggregate. Mm-hmm. Correct. Good one, Zach. This is a this is a gross question to finish off. Uh, Jamie Vardy, his real name is not actually Jamie Vardy. He has a different name by birth. Can you tell me what his actual name is? I I can't. Is I it, can't do it. Is I'm it a go different with surname or a different forename? First name is the same. Last name is different. No, Jamie Johnson. <laughs> Jamie Kensworth. Jamie Gill. G I L. Um, the story is his father walked out on his mother when Vardy was a baby after he got another lady pregnant. And his father actually didn't find out that Jamie Vardy was his actual son until 2015 and has tried to attend every game ever since. He's probably trying to mooch off him and get some money off him, would be my guess, but that's just me saying. Well, let's think about it from a positive point of view and think about it about he wants to like reconnect with his son. Who wants to reconnect with his son, all right? Come on. Yeah. I like yeah. I like that you're giving him the benefit of the dog. Good job, guys. Yeah. All right. All right. Close this out. Okay. Final question. Gus, you listen. You know you know this you know what's coming here. Mm-hmm. All right. The next word for you to expand your vocabulary, Zach and Gus, is G W E R T H. F A W R, G W E R T H F A W 
Thawar. And I'll go first here. I'm gonna go with Gudithawar. Pretty close. Def Gus, you, you have uh, one up in there? Gither? <laughs> Much better. No, it's actually Gwerthvaur, and it means precious. Hmm. Alright. That is that was, your Welsh word for the How week. is it that the Welsh language is stranger than any other language? It's just a beautiful poetic language. I wouldn't expect you Scots to understand. Alright, we got Gaelic, so don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and with that we will close out our fortieth episode of the False Nines. Gus, so great to have you back on uh with you know, with our current drought in football and also with uh, I think all of our slightly more free schedules, we'd love to have you back on soon. I think we could probably make it work. It's been <laughs> a blast. I, 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 had a, I had a great time being back on, guys. Thanks. Thank you for coming back, man. Always good to have you. All right, guys. And, uh, yeah, we'll close it out. Footy. Footy. One more footy.